It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Are you a numbers person? Up to half the UK workforce is estimated to have the numeracy skills of the average 11-year-old. So how can National Numeracy Day help tackle this? Working out how much you'll need to save to fund your future retirement is a pretty tricky sum, but Jason Butler, our Wealth Man columnist, has found that many people actually save too much. And millennial money columnist Kate Bearley joins me to question why more under 40s are not investing for the future and some quick ways that they could get started. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you this week's Money News. Are you a numbers person? Well, frankly, you must be if you're listening to the FT Money Show. But many people in the UK sadly feel very unconfident when it comes to numbers, which has huge ramifications not just for their working lives, but also their personal finances. So what can be done? Mike Ellicock, the chief executive of the UK's national numeracy charity, joins me in the studio. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Chair. So firstly, tell us about how people in the UK are suffering through a lack of numeracy skills. Well, the headline is there's a 26% wage premium for basic numeracy. And when you split out uh, every other socioeconomic factor, it's still about 10%. So a lot of the data that's generated about the financial impact comes from that uh, work. But there's a whole load of wider impacts about health and well-being. It's difficult to feel in control if you don't really understand the numbers because, of course, uh, numbers and data surround us all, all the time. And so lots of people with you know half the population... Uh, working at primary school levels, that's that's really bad for them. It's bad for UK productivity, and we want to do something about that. So the main thing that you are doing about it is organising National Numeracy Day, which happens next Wednesday, the 16th of May. How can listeners get involved? Well, there's a website. It's numeracyday.com. So that's uh, nice and easy. Go and have a look on there. There's some quick quizzes. There's also our main assessment. I know you've had a go, Claire, which to check whether you've got the essentials of numeracy. And that's the really important thing for us. So, you know, some people have qualifications, some people don't. For some people, that was a very, very long time ago. But it doesn't matter what you do. You need to use numbers and data so that you can make good decisions in daily life. So go on there, check whether you've got the essentials of numeracy. And if you haven't, we can help you get them. So I have to say, I brushed up my math skills quite considerably about um, (laughs) seven or eight years ago when I had to help my stepsons um, revise for their GCSE maths, um, which made me realise 
frankly, how much stuff I'd forgotten between um, the classroom and now. But I did your quiz. I was just a little bit apprehensive about doing it. I mean, yeah. it's like you say in all the publicity for the day people say i'm not a numbers person and mm. you feel like looking at some of the questions that you can't answer them like there was there was one that they do get easier and as you answer more of them correctly they get progressively harder they do, that's um, right. listeners be be warned so so i was quite happy doing the ones that said what fraction would give you the biggest share of the chocolate bar that's my kind <laughs> of um <laughs> of, of mass question i got that one right within a few yeah. seconds and then um comparing the best deal mm. when buying um, things that are on offer um, as a super shopper, you know, I definitely nailed that question. Yep. But then the one that came along that said, um, how long would one million seconds be um, in days? Oh, I have yes. to say, my, yeah, yeah. My, my initial reaction was, I just don't know the answer. <laughs> how on earth am I going to work yeah. that out? And, then, and, and so for a lot of people, if you're presented with a, a maths problem, it, the easiest thing to do is to actually fold your arms and say, oh, I don't do maths. Um, and part of that's a defence mechanism, and and part of it is, is this thing about you feel uncomfortable if you have to engage your brain with something. But if you stop and think, and you're prepared to, you know, use a calculator, use a phone, use whatever you want to try and get to the answer to that question. And that that's a big part. Like you mentioned GCSE, so a lot of what we're talking about can be characterised as kind of being able to use simple maths in complex situations. And that's often the situation when you're managing your own personal finances, when you're choosing between two jobs, deciding whether to buy a new car or a used car, all of these things. The maths isn't terribly complicated. What we learn at school is tends to be ever more complex maths in very simple situations. And there's this false assumption that one leads to the other. And we've got lots and lots of data now from university graduates, from nurses, from healthcare assistants in, in the health service, from the people who've taken our assessment, that the link between qualifications, maths qualifications, and whether you're numerate or not is, is a very weak link. Um, the crucial thing is, can you use simple maths to help you make good decisions? And that's what we're all about and what we're trying to help people with. Now, I'm quite prepared to admit on the money show, I got 88 out of 100 um, in your test yep. score. Considering I did it within 15 minutes. Safely um, in, in the, within the essentials <laughs> of numeracy. Yep. Not, not too bad. If I had scored below 80, yep. however, then your website would have automatically not just suggested ways that I could improve my numeracy, but because of the questions it had asked and it can see where I've gone wrong. Yeah. It will say these are the weak points. Yeah, so you get you get um, an overall score, the eighty-eight or equivalent, and then and then you get strengths and weaknesses across the different areas of the essentials of numeracy, and then you get rooted into learning to help you on your areas of weakness. There's also you you identified the attitudinal thing. So there's an attitudinal survey which is much quicker, takes about five minutes, um, off the back of the uh, off the back of the initial um, essentials of numeracy kind of check, and we also can measure kind of improvements on the attitudinal side as well because we really believe that the the kind of questions that half the population struggle with, and that's that's something like. Uh, just to get your listeners' brains going. So um, you're paid £9 an hour and you get a 5% pay increase. What is your new rate of pay? Using a calculator, use a phone, um, no time limit. Those are the, that's the kind of thing that between a quarter and half the population just won't engage with or, or, or will get the, the answer wrong. So what we believe is that that's not because of their cognitive capacity. You know, everybody can come to understand or can remember um, with with some support what how to work out five percent of something um, th- so the barriers for that quarter 
to a half of the population are actually much more attitudinal and it's about engaging with numbers it's about this fact that it's much easier to just fold your arms and say I can't do it and from a personal finance point of view I've written before and I'll say it again this week that I think that this kind of inertia among consumers is let's face it fattening the profits of many financial services companies if you are the kind of person who only pays the minimum payment on your credit card or never shops around for a mortgage deal or doesn't even know what interest rate they're on frankly most yeah. people even in the FT office if pressed yeah. um, won't be able to pinpoint the exact rate so there's all the more reason to engage with numbers and yeah I completely agree and and so much in so many areas of life particularly around uh, financial services there's an assumption built into the current models of market behavior that assume people are numerate people can work out five percent and nine pounds of course they can um, that's not a safe assumption but this inertia this behavioral effect overlaid onto that um, creates the situation we have at the moment where whole markets are not markets you know the energy market for example Mm -hmm. we have poor customers subsidize rich customers broadly rich customer about a third of customers switch um, about two-thirds don't switch it tends to be the poorer customers less educated customers that don't switch that's not um that's not an effective market and you can see that across all kinds of uh, different areas as well and we're we're pretty concerned about it you look at um new car sales so 86 percent of new car sales are on pcp personal contract plans. personal These contract plans. essentially when you're hiring the car, paying yeah. quite a lot of money every month to do so, you never really own it. Yeah, and, and for many people, that's a very, very sensible decision. The concern we have is that lots of people haven't done the maths on it, had a real think about it, realise the fragility of that contract if they lose their job or whatever else. So, um, yeah, so so we think people need to go into these um, decisions with their eyes open. You know, another, another kind of area is unsecured credit growing by 10%, I think, in each of the last two years. No one's, well, most people's salaries aren't are growing at that kind of rate. And so, um, so yeah, we, we think that this numeracy thing has always been assumed that people can basically do the maths. And that's not a safe assumption. So we've got to do something about it. Now, you've got some very high profile supporters for your campaign, ranging from Andy Haldane at the Bank of England, Martin Lewis, the money saving expert, and also Bobby Seagull, the University Challenge star, who's now now working as a maths teacher and separately will be writing about how to reform GCSE maths yep. um, in FT Money um, this weekend. But why do all of these people think numeracy is important? Well, it's we're really pleased with the amount of support there's been for National Numeracy Day. It's been it's really started to um, yeah gather gather momentum. I think we've got 13 lead supporters now and a number of other supporters and a whole load of champions. I think there's 60 organisations who are engaged in some way. And um, I think it's looking at seeing the data, seeing the facts, seeing the numbers. And so most people are very surprised, you know, half the adult population working at primary school levels, 78% are working below the level we expect of a 16 year old. So we think that if you start to look at productivity and these other issues that are really um, seem to be holding the country back, um, you know, it, it, there's a common sense link there. Uh, and, and gradually, you know, we've been around for six years as a charity. This is the first National Numeracy Day. 
Um, KPMG, one of our supporters, were very keen to engage with this or get us to engage with this because they've seen such um, strength from the literacy kind of day. So um, we, we're very glad we've done it and it's enabled people to kind of come around and, and, and to talk about this. But we're hoping that people will do so for the other 365, uh, 364 days of the year as well. <laughs> I, love, I like it. Don't get, well, don't apart get from the, the leap numbers. Year. <laughs> don't yeah. get the numbers wrong. Well, I would have been right one in four. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks very much, Mike Ellicott, Chief Executive executive of National Numeracy Charity for coming onto the show. You can read more on this story online from Friday or in Saturday's edition of FT Money, which is inside your FT Weekend newspaper, including Bobby Seagull's thoughts on GCSE maths. And don't forget that National Numeracy Day itself is next Wednesday, the 16th of May. To find out more about what you could do in your own workplace, check out their website, www.numeracyday.com, where you can register for updates and also take part in the number quizzes mentioned. 88 is the score to beat. How much is enough? That's the perennial question facing those planning their retirement. But when we're saving for the future, we often overestimate how much we will need to spend in our old age. So says Jason Butler in his FT Money column this week, and he joins me now in the studio. Welcome, Jason. Hello. So your parents-in-law, who are both in their 80s, have recently asked you to help them manage their money. Now, that's a situation that will be familiar to many of our listeners. But what surprised you about their finances? Well, what surprised me was actually how little they spend. And as a result, they weren't a particularly high-income couple. And I found that they were persistently spending a lot less than they had coming in. And consequently, their bank account balances had grown to quite a significant amount and they hadn't actually done anything about it. Now, they're both in a situation now where they are uh, finding it very difficult to manage their finances themselves. And I, I sort of look back on this and realised it's been going on for years. This wasn't a recent thing. And in fact, it echoes some research that came out a couple of years ago that actually shows people increasingly across all income groups uh, save quite a lot of their money in retirement. So that has implications um, for how much you need to save. Well, older people might have a lot of cash sloshing around now, but I'm thinking, what are the implications for funding their long term care costs, perhaps in the future? Well, again, that's another misnomer. It's actually uh, the minority of people who need, who are in their 80s or, uh, who need to fund long-term care. Obviously, there are different uh, statistics for different age groups. But essentially, it's the, it's the small minority of people who ha- actually have to fund significant care costs. Mm. And, and in reality, is most of the people who are property owners can fund that from their property purchase. So what essentially the issue there is that this idea that if you're the small number of people who have a very long, long-term care need, then clearly that has implications for how much you save. But it also has implications if you're if you're not the one who's going to have long-term care needs, or certainly not significant long-term care needs, and the average people in care, it's not more than about four years anyway. The reality is they need to be focusing on meeting their lifestyle spending um, while they're fit and well in post-work. So your message is very much, don't hold back on the holidays when you're in early retirement and in, still still in the saga phase as uh, some experts have known yeah i think i think the reality is that the older people can both spend more money than they realize you know they can ease up a bit um in the latter years but they could also potentially gift and help the the wider family which many people do i know but they could probably do a bit more than they realize uh, is possible but the real implication is for younger people mm. because i don't want um particularly as we've got this sort of numeracy thing coming up next week and not to disengage with numbers is that actually a reasonably comfortable um post work income is attainable 
by younger people, despite having to repay student fees and the cost of housing, etc. And I've set out in the article an incremental way of thinking about it, so that if we if we approach this, just like approaching numbers in general, if we approach planning for later life and being financially secure with a I can do this mentality, and it, you don't need to put huge amounts away for all of your life. You just need to start early, modest amounts, and then build on that um, so and make sure that your spending is on savings throughout your working life is growing quicker than your lifestyle costs. So it means you start off uh, relatively modest to start with, but you've got to get into the habit. Um, and just like my wife said to me years ago, it's never the right time to start a family. It's never the right time to start saving for later life. Well, thanks very much there to Jason Butler, the FT's Wealth Man columnist. You can read his column online now at ft.com slash money. Should all 25-year-olds be given £10,000? The possibility that a citizen's inheritance funded by higher wealth taxes could help young people save for a housing deposit was suggested by a group of experts this week, sparking an intense debate. But why, asks our millennial money columnist Kate Beerley, are we so fixated on buying houses? rather than investing such a lump sum. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome, Kate. Hiya. So, millennials' attitude toward financial advice, are they missing out on the possibility of investing money? Yeah, well, I started thinking about this because it's just not something that a lot of millennials seem to think about, financial advice, uh, and potentially don't even kind of know what it is, what a financial advisor would do. They're all fixated Um, on owning a home, buying a property, not having to rent, but anything else with their money... Yeah, it's a, a bit of a black hole. I mean, there's a study by um, asset manager F&C who uh, found that a quarter of UK millennials turned to their mums for um, for all manner of financial advice rather than, you know, looking anywhere else. So there obviously is a bit of an issue here about um, millennials missing out on financial advice and, you know, investing as a corollary to that. And I suppose it rather depends on um, the quality of the advice that your mum is able to give, whether <laughs> yeah. that's a, a success or not. But are they missing out on investing? Well, yeah, I think that they are, and um, there's a—they're both missing out on investing through kind of not knowing about it, and I think there's a bit of a distrust of it generally, which mm. you know, obviously there is risk attached to putting your money in the market, um, but. I think there is a bit of misunderstanding there too. Um, so some statistics from uh, online wealth manager Dabble, um, they've done a survey showing that 96% of um, the millennials they spoke to were without an investment portfolio and over 60% are put off because they think it's just something for wealthy people, um, which obviously isn't the case. And it means that clearly millennials are losing out on a lot of money that they could be gaining in the market. Now you say in your column that recognising that you know, small amounts put away early on um, in something like a pension or maybe in the, the lifetime ISA can really make a difference over time. But what's the answer to creating more awareness? Yeah, well, I, I think um, there just needs to be a bit of demystifying, I guess, of some of this information. Um, obviously, the onus is, though, on millennials to go out and, and do some research themselves. I think there is an interesting trend where millennials are often pushed towards kind of robo-advice services or, you know, kind of app-based investment services. But in fact, it's not that difficult to manage a DIY portfolio. You know, if you're doing things like regular savings, it doesn't have to be very expensive. Um, I think there just needs to be a bit of a push towards uh, towards kind of educating ourselves and educating this generation 
you know, as to as to where to look and what to do with their money in the market. Well, if you're a millennial listening to the podcast, wondering about where to start, Kate's column this week is a great place um, to begin your search. You can read her millennial money column online now, ft.com slash money. And within that article, there will be links to lots of other ones that she's written before. And of course, it's in the FT Weekend newspaper from this Saturday. That's it from The Money Show this week. To give us your feedback, we'll be put in touch with our team of experts. Drop us an email, money at ft.com or tweet us at FT Money. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.